You get no love as like the industrial supplier. Like no one's inviting us to any parties. There's nothing going <laughs> down. Rihanna's not saying like, thanks for the podiums, guys. Thanks for the bars. Come to the backstage party. It's just not happening, man. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy, happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. You can find all the show notes, links, and resources from this episode at tropicalmba.com slash Flash bar. Speaking of flash bar, I believe that was your nickname in high school, right, boss man? It was, man. <laughs> All the way from Mexico. We should play you in, I think, with some classy mariachi music. Are these guys driving you nuts yet down there? Or how do you like Mexico? I love Mexico, man. I think it was a great choice. I'd never really been here before. You know, we should talk a little bit about Mexico versus, say, Asia. Yeah, let's talk about that. So we'll get to that in the news segment. On today's show, it hasn't been all coconuts and burritos for the boss man. With our team, you've helped to organize one of our most successful product launches. And it's really exciting because we used a lot of our rip pivot jam principles. We did a lot of things right. We did a lot of things wrong. And I think this is going to be relevant for people in the audience that are running dropship sites that have their own products or want to get into e-commerce. So we're just going to lay it out there, what we've done with the Portable Bar Company to have this really successful launch. So let's let's talk about Mexico first, though. I'm curious, how do you think it stacks up to a place like, say, Thailand here in Southeast Asia? Mexico is a pro destination. These folks have been doing tourism for a long time. So when you come here, everything is really figured out, which I think is very nice. But there's still some adventure to be had. So I escaped Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam before. Dan, as you know, the cost of Europe is just absurd. Going out to dinner, you know, two people, no drinks, $60, $70 at your neighborhood eatery. I was just hemorrhaging money. You know, I escaped Mexico for a couple of reasons. One, because I knew that I was going to be back in North America, specifically the States for March. And I thought, hey, let's head back over this way. I've never been to Mexico before. Specifically, I'm in Playa del Carmen. The things that I really like about Playa del Carmen you have kind of uh, all the bougie things that I that I like. So there's the vegan and vegetarian restaurant. There's the brand new yoga studio. There's the pristine beaches. There's the easy transport on the collectivos and the taxis. I'm sure they have a Tom's footwear outlet and a skinny jean shop. Exactly, exactly. There's there's all of that. In that respect, there's a lot of things that I value here. And so it makes it really easy. Now, what it doesn't have, a uh, community for entrepreneurs down in Playa del Carmen, it doesn't have co-working spaces. I think there's one, actually. I haven't been there, so maybe I'm not that interested in it. It doesn't have a good cafe scene. Uh, you know, I work a lot at my house right now. But all this is to say, Dan, I think it's a very viable place for digital nomads. The cost is very low and the weather is awesome. So you said something shocking to me, and I think really cool that in May and June, you were planning on going back to Prague. And some of the listeners will remember that, you know, you'd done an Airbnb apartment there and we went to MicroConf and that was great. Before we go into an entire episode comparing random cities in the world, I'm curious, could you do a cost of living comparison between Amsterdam, Mexico, 
and Prague, all hugely desirable places to base yourself for a few months. Yeah, sure. I just want to say one more thing about Mexico real quick. You know, a lot of the reason why, Dan, people are living in Vietnam and Chiang Mai is because there's a lot of other DCers there. There's a lot of other entrepreneurs there. I think Playa del Carmen and places in Mexico that I haven't been that I've heard that are similar to Playa del Carmen is just as good as an option as these places in Asia. But we just don't have the gravity in terms of entrepreneurs here yet. Playa del Carmen and places in Thailand, places in Vietnam, about the same level in terms of cost. Dan, we're finding with these service apartments and these Airbnb places, like everybody's kind of getting on the same page. So, you know, my budget personally for me is about $1,000 a month. And I can achieve that very nicely. In Playa del Carmen, I have a two-bedroom apartment for that price. In terms of the cost of Amsterdam, way off the charts. You're, you're going to spend anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000 in rent. And like I said, food is ridiculous. But Prague, on the other hand, Prague is a little gem. And I think that you can live in Prague. I know that you can live in Prague because I've done it for about the same cost actually as you can in Mexico, which is amazing. And I was talking to one of my friends and he said that he went to Prague uh, when it first opened up. I think it was back in the late 90s. And he said it was the cheapest place on the planet that he's ever been to. I think that they're just starting now to kind of catch up because Prague is very awesome. Uh, Tons of hipster stuff, tons of nice accommodations. So Prague is the only place I've ever been in kind of westernized Europe that you can spend Asia prices. So I will be going back and uh, yeah, I hope you'll be joining me. Yeah, man. Well, hey, you don't have to twist my arm. Prague's an amazing city. And for rent prices like that, sounds like fun. Uh, You know, I've been thinking about this thing, and I'm just going to inject this, this idea that you know, when you get to a certain lifestyle level, you said you were spending $1,000 a month on your rent. I believe when we lived in San Diego, we were probably only spending about 600 a piece, right? So you've upgraded a little bit, but you're probably getting a lot more for that. There's this interesting level I've been thinking about, and I'm curious if people in the audience have thought about this. When you get to the level that you basically can just go directly into a hotel or a managed apartment. The, the ballpark rate for this kind of thing is maybe, you know, between $75 and $100 a day in terms of your living expenses. If you can just go into a hotel or go into a managed apartment or a condo, all of a sudden the limitation of lease and the importance of having a place to stay can go away at any time. It doesn't mean that it needs to. It just melts away. Like you can get on an airplane and then check into a hotel. Most people, when they check into a hotel, the timer starts going like, hey, you got to get out of this place, right? Like You checked into a hotel. I mean, that's going to crush your budget. But I think if you get your budget to this level where it's, say, $100 a day or whatever, you're kind of in this business class realm. And all of a sudden, it's interesting thought experiment for me. Like, what does your life look like when it's no longer revolves around the structures of leases and the structures of having to have a home? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's something that I've been meditating about. Yeah, I think I'm fairly qualified to talk about that. I mean, I've been doing it for the last year. And I think what it comes down for me is, first of all, is is variety. So 2013 for me was all about kind of exploring the globe and seeing what I liked, you know, and seeing where I want to revisit, seeing where I want to build potentially a home base. Having that 50 to $100 a month budget or a day budget is really key for that. But I think, you know, the most important thing I learned from that is deciding where kind of home is. I mean, it puts a, it puts a real emphasis. When you're less 
I guess, concerned with the cost, you get more concerned with everything else. And so you say, hey, all things being equal, you know, I'm willing to spend $100 a day. Where do I really want to be? Well, buddy, I smell a whole nother episode and a European visa in your future. But first, <laughs> I think we should get on to the meats and potatoes and try to deliver some product launch value. this week's episode, we are going to talk about how we used Rip Pivot Jam, and we've added two extra categories, Blam for our successes and Blap for all the things that went wrong. Rip Pivot Jam, Blam, Blap. We're going to walk through the process of putting the flash bar. You can check it out. We're going to have a link to that at tropicalmba.com slash flash bar. We're going to link to this product so you can check out exactly what we're talking about and exactly what we did to make this such a success. And it wasn't just us, by the way. Big hat tip to our whole team in California who are uh, the boots on the ground on this stuff. Yeah, it wasn't just us. It was barely us, I think is what we meant to say there. What inspires you to declare success, to call me and say, this was the greatest? Why do you have this impression? Or is it a spreadsheet? Is it a number? What makes you feel like we did things right this time around? Yeah, it's definitely a number. You know, we set out with goals at the beginning of this thing. So nine months ago, this whole thing started. And we sat down and we said, okay, these are our goals. These are our KPIs. This is what we want to achieve. It was kind of judgment day about a week ago after we got back from the trade show. And we achieved all of our goals. So that's what made us a success. But let's talk about a little bit about this idea that a lot of internet marketers in our community are doing, which is they're just pure drop shippers versus this idea that we're trying to do with the portable bar company and turn it into a real recognizable brand with unique products. Where do you come down on this whole spectrum? I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, Dan, and people get into drop shipping and making sure that you're getting into drop shipping for the right reasons. As we talked about earlier on in this year, Dan, we sold our drop ship site and we are continuing to focus solely on building brands and building products. Drop shipping is, is okay. It can lead to building brands and products. And I think those are the circumstances in which you should drop ship. So, just to be clear, Dan, on this, and you know, you and I might have a little bit different philosophies on this. I think if you are drop shipping, you don't control your manufacturing, you don't control the product. You're just purely saying, okay, uh, X company makes Y product. I just sell. I just resell Y product. I don't have any kind of agreement written that says ten other people can't sell this product. You know, I'm just drop shipping this product for them. I think eventually you're going to get bowled over by companies like Amazon. I think there's no question about it. Five years from now, you're going to be out of business. There's a difference. I think here's how you make the difference. As, as a gateway drug to either product design or brand dominance, dropshipping is great, right? It's like a canary in the coal mine. But if you are, like you said, selecting a dropshipping niche that you cannot or will not or have not or whatever, going to create a great, remarkable product or a great, remarkable brand, however you get there. You mentioned earlier when we were talking like air conditioners or whatever, like if you're not going to be able to, you know, really create a remarkable air conditioner within the medium term timeline, I think it's just an arbitrage play. If arbitrage then bad because you're going to get squeezed out. So what's the point of spending your hard-earned energy on something that's not going to last? But if it's a gateway drug, 
like you know, I think with our dropshipping site, we that's that was the strategy. You know, hey, we're going to see what's going on with the marketplace. We're going to have awesome intelligence. We're going to have high bandwidth relationships. You know, customers and stuff giving us information, and then we're going to decide whether we become a manufacturer or not. Hey, by the way, speaking of Mexico, I hear some construction in the background. Hey, so, man, uh, <laughs> no doubt. I, I can't escape it. I mean, it's a look. If you're if you're if you're paying the kind of prices you're paying in Mexico and Thailand and Vietnam, we've got to expect some growth. We've got to expect some hammers. Exactly. Yeah, it's upside. I, you know, I, last week when we recorded the podcast, literally they started turning on a buzzsaw. Like, a bu- <laughs> like when's the last time you saw a buzzsaw? You know? <laughs> it's like of all, of all the tools that you could pull out, you know, the most comic one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want to get back to your gateway drug comment, Dan, on, on drop shipping. The idea here is to get market intelligence. The idea here is to get manufacturing intelligence and then go manufacture your own product. But but here's what you're saying. You're saying something more, which is that like, because dropshipping is is happening in our community right now, in, in the digital nomad community. It's sort of like four years ago it was information products and then it was, you know, Amazon stores and now it's dropping, whatever, you know. So there's all these kind of trends that happen or it was membership sites and then it's this and then it's that. Now, dropshipping is great, but... If you can't see yourself manufacturing the product someday or, you know, somehow getting yourself into a partnership where you have great products, you will get squeezed out. And I think that that's the warning that I want to put across. You will not be able to win the PPC game for the next five, six, seven years. And and that's really like the long ball thinking. You want to be sitting on an asset five years from now. You don't want to be sitting on a pile of PPC reports that you have to make sure stay optimized constantly. You know, there's a difference there. What you said there, I think, is the, is the key differentiator in a product-based business, a manufacturing business, and a, a drop-shipping business, Dan, is what does the asset look like for you? What does the asset look like in the beginning, and what does the asset look like in the end, you know, five years down the road? I want to point this out. I'll tell you why people get into dropshipping, Dan, and it's not, it's not a bad reason why. The, people, the reason people get into dropshipping is because it costs zero money to get into dropshipping. And I can relate to that. There was a time where we had zero monies and we had to get into a business. And, hey, that's appealing. But look, like the big dogs, they use money to make money, okay? And if you're starting on a business and you're starting with zero, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Like you said, it's got to scale into something else, you know? So... Yes, Dan, when we started, we started with a with a bump of cash. We had a cash investor in our business. We started and we went and manufactured a product. And that's exactly what we did with the portable bar company. That's what we're going to talk about today with the flash bar. When you start these drop shipping businesses, I get it. The appeal is because it costs zero to get in. But realize that that little or that low barrier to entry is the same for everybody. And so, therefore, it's going to be very competitive, and it's not necessarily going to be sustainable. Yeah, and you might not want to mention your niche at a cocktail party. And here's the other thing that I want you to think about if you're drop shipping and you're doing the canary in the coal mine, the gateway drug thing, that what we're going to talk about today cost us, what are you going to say, Ian, ballpark $50,000? Yeah, about that. Probably our first development cycle, I mean, our, 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 probably about the same, you know, yep. for the for the valet stuff. So... Here's what I want to say for people that if you that's in your future, if you want a sustainable business. So if you do get out the door, know this, like you're not displacing this injection of $50,000. Like if you don't make it, you're probably you could get squeezed out anyway. And, you know, in the case of dropshipping businesses, if you have to live off of them and your margins are thin anyway, 
when are you going to have $50,000 laying around to put back into the business to do a product development cycle? So in other words, what I'm trying to say is like it might make sense to like up-level your mindset and to get yourself into this earlier. Because it could be easy to sit around for like 12 to 24 months and just like knock out PPC campaigns and advertising stuff and keep going. And then at some point, like you're going to need to inject this cash anyway. And that's cool Like if you want to test it out. But, you know, you're going to get to the stage and I think that's cool. You know, that's the name of the game. But getting yourself to the mindset level where you want to build this asset, where you have a warehouse full of product that's yours and that other people will buy from you. And that's an asset that you own. That's a good thing because it sucks getting knocked off the first page of Google. <laughs> Final point on this, Dan. If you're if you're a dropshipper, our buddy Simon was telling me because he's a successful dropshipper, but he does it in a little bit different way on Amazon. He's 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 a genius. He was telling me that uh, you know, and this hasn't happened to us before because our products, we just don't have this kind of product. But Amazon will come to you if you're selling sunglasses on a Yahoo site. Amazon will come to you and will say, hey. You should be selling on Amazon because we're going to give you more exposure and we're going to help you out. Okay, so Amazon is actively recruiting dropshippers from the Internet to come sell on Amazon. So that's what you're up against, right? You're up against everybody. Everybody. (laughs) Everybody. Everybody. Okay, can you tell us about how you pulled this whole thing off, how this nine months went down? So you're saying nine months, $50,000. Hopefully we can give people insight. I realize this is a high level thing, but I think there's a lot of people that want to get into product. It's a good business model. So how do we get from the portablebarcompany.com with a few pilot fish to, you know, launching this product and having an amazing weekend at the trade show? Well, we started with RIP. From RIP Pivot Jam, we added two more categories for this week, Ian. Blam, which is the good stuff, and Blap, which is the bad stuff. So RIP Pivot Jam, Blam, Blap. (laughs) So our RIP We are having a website with a few bars up there. You know, things are going okay. Things are going okay. But we're not quite staying at the five-star resort down there in Mexico, Ian. We're we're getting the, the modest managed apartment. Why isn't this site taking off? And so we start looking around the internet. What do we find? Yeah, well, you know, to to be fair, it was taking off. I mean, we we almost grew by a hundred percent, but uh Year of year, but that just wasn't good for us. So, you know, we had a bunch of people coming to the site. Uh, they were buying products, but we had a disproportional, in my mind, we had more people coming to the site and less people buying. So, when that happens, I think, okay, is something wrong with our PPC campaigns? Are we driving the wrong kind of traffic? No, we're driving the right kind of traffic, I think. We just didn't have the right product. And so we kind of went back to the sketchboard and we said, okay, what's the right product? And so we started to look around. Alistair, he, uh, he found a product that was being manufactured in England and only in England and seemingly not very well or, or on a scale that wasn't super attractive to us. And so we said, hey, I think that we can do that. We can do it bigger. We can do it better. Let's give this thing a try. In the meantime, let's do it on the tightest timeline we've ever tried to achieve because we're trying to go to this trade show. And so that's where we are now, basically, is, is, is two weeks off this trade show. Was it the case of having the website up and being in the industry and talking to everybody that you found out about this stuff? Or could have you just made a better decision at the very beginning? You know, Dan, it's like one of these things. We're talking about this uh, last night, unrelated topic, but the same kind of strategy. You got to get started to know where the opportunities are. And so, you know, I think by us selling portable bars, by us being interested in portable bars, talking to people, people give you tips. Hey, you should be at this trade show. No, you should develop this product. I buy 5,000 of these products a year. Why aren't you making this product? You have to be in the conversations to see the opportunities. So I'm not sure if we were just starting off, if we would 
go manufacture this product, but because we're in the industry for two years, we got insight and then eventually it led us to this product. So this stuff takes a long time, man. <laughs> we ripped. We, we found a product out there in the marketplace that was seemed to be doing well, but we knew we could do better. So we pivoted it. We brought it into our manufacturing process. We gave it to our suite designers. We changed things. We found efficiencies. We don't need to necessarily go into the nitty-gritty of all the pivots. What I'm more curious about, Ian, is is what happened? Like, what was the process like when you showed up at the event and got feedback from customers? I mean, was it just nutbags? Like, people, you know, give me, give me take my monies, or what? What was the? What did you guys fi- find out? Total nutbags, absolutely. I think that's what you always find at trade shows: nutbags. We weren't sure about this trade show, so let's be clear about that. <laughs> Before we plopped down a bunch of money to go to this trade show, we had just kind of heard rumors: yeah, you guys might want to go to this trade show. So in my mind, it, it was a bit of a gamble, you know, to go to this trade show. It's a lot of money to go to a trade show. We'd never been to this trade show. Our competition had never been to this trade show. But a couple of people said you might want to go. It was in the event rental space industry. You know, part of the problem, Dan, with this niche and with I think every niche is understanding who you're customers are you know are your customers renting these bars are they buying these bars are they using them at a restaurant a bar a stadium and so we're just constantly still trying to figure out who that customer is so we showed up to this convention or this expo we got tons of great feedback and most importantly people were there speaking with their wallets you know so we offered a trade show discount i think everybody should do that but the feedback we got was yes we will buy your bar and that happened several times Yeah, so your top three trade show tips were warming up the guests with the pre-mailer. So you let everybody know we were going to be there, what booth, and why they should come to the booth. And the reason they should come to the booth, free drinks and cute girls. That still works. (laughs) Exactly. It's 2014, man. (laughs) It still works. You know, hat tip to uh, Derek. You know, Derek put a lot of time and effort into this warming up the audience. So we sent out mailers. Uh, I think we bought a list from the trade show. I think that that's pretty typical is you can buy a list of all the people that are going to be there. Uh, A couple weeks before they come, you say, hey, stop by booth 4000. We've got smoothies. We've got girls. You're going to want to bring this ticket with you because it means you get 20% off on what you buy. People actually did respond to that. People actually did come by the booth. And according to Taylor and Alistair, a buzz started happening at the show. People started to catch on to the fact that we had girls and we had smoothies and they actually stopped by for that reason. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny, man. You go to some of these trade shows and there's like very little of that going on. And then you go to others like the nightclub and bar show we went to last year. You can't compete with the smoothie machine and girls like everybody has that. Right. So it's like you kind of got to pick your thing, you know, you got to you got to pick it. I'll tell you what, though, I think, you know, I've been to a bunch of trade shows and it what always wins is experience over like benefits. So, uh, you know, if you're giving out like discounts and this and that, it's like whatever. Nobody cares about that. But if you have like a putting lawn where there's like a competition and you get to win something because let's face it, trade shows like like 75 percent of the people that are there don't want to be there. So, like, give them something fun to do, and maybe they'll hang out at your booth and buy some of your your flash bars. So, that's so exciting. So, that's the blam. We, we had an incredible day launching this product. It's going to be a winner. Now, what's next, man? What's the blap? What's the downside of having all this success in your product launch? First thing, I, I just guess, we run an inventory business. So now, you know, we said it costs us 50K to bring this stuff in. That's just the beginning, right? If, if it goes well, you know, you make some of your money back and then you got to spend double to get a double inventory. Right. 
Yeah, you know, these inventory-based businesses, these product-based businesses, your money is always tied up in inventory or accounts receivable. (laughs) We just painted a pretty glamorous picture there, Dan. Set a goal nine months ago, right? Designed and developed this product, went to the trade show, crushed it. Everything is going peachy. Not really behind the scenes. It's It's been a little bit different story. Man, this was the tightest timeline that we had to, ever had to deal with. Uh, not only that, we sourced a new factory for this product. And whenever you source a new factory, it's always a gamble. And for us, that was the case too. A lot of the product came in damaged. A lot of the product came in not manufactured properly. So we're having to go fix things. You know, this is pretty typical for China. I just want to talk about pricing though, Dan, for a minute and how it relates to drop shipping and product manufacturing. So one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves with this new product is how greedy do we want to get? And I don't really mean greedy in the sense of swimming in money. I just mean, you know, how this is a brand new product. We don't have any competition, really. And so we're able to kind of set the price where wherever we want it to be. You know, we, we've got some barriers, right? Like they could go buy a fully installed bar that's on one side, or they could use a tablecloth uh, with a folding card table that's kind of on the other side of the spectrum. So where do we want to be in there? I get this question a lot, Dan. It's like, how should I price my product? And this is especially true for guys doing information products, right? It's like you can kind of price it anywhere you want because your cost of goods sold are, are virtually nothing, right? And so how do we price this product? Well, I price the product at a point where I think we can sell the most. So It's really important to get market intelligence early on. So if you price it too high, it might be a great product, but you won't get the kind of feedback that you need. If you price it too low, you might sell out too fast. I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world. But on on the other side of that, if you price it too low, you might have just left money on the table, right? If I price this thing $500 too low, it's like I've just missed out on that $500 because they were going to buy it anyway. So you've got to kind of strike a balance in there. Um, and that's what we're trying to do now is like, yeah, I think it's somewhere for these businesses, you know, it's somewhere between three and five time mark, depending on if you're going to have to slice it up with distributors and whatnot. But for us, it's, a, it's around three to four times. And we might be getting ahead of ourselves here. Can you describe what this product is, by the way, and why it's such a good product? Why do people resonate with this? It's unique. It's it's solving a unique problem that people are having. You know, in the United States and all around the world, people are throwing more events every year. People, you know, I think there's probably more concerts and more events thrown in 2014 than there were in 2013. And people need equipment for those events. That equipment is just kind of starting to catch up. You know, the um, hospitality industry, is it's, a, it's been around for a long time. But the need for portable hospitality products, that's relatively new. We are on the forefront of that, Dan. We're one of the companies that is, that's starting to develop that kind of equipment. And what is the equipment? So the equipment is it's a portable bar. Unlike the other portable bars that we have on our site that fold up and roll away, uh, this one is modular, meaning that it's made of several different components that assemble with no tools. It's made to look like a permanent bar, but it's actually portable. Yeah, and so the basic idea is that you can make a bar that's infinitely long. It's it's pieces that get put together in different configurations to make round or circle or curving or, you know, so that you could have a 100-foot bar at a wedding or a 50-foot round bar at a concert, right? Right. So when you're at the Rihanna concert, you know, it's uh, actually our bars are at the Rihanna concert. Shine bright like a diamond. (laughs) (laughs) It's the bar that you stand at and order your Coca-Cola or whatever. 
Did you see that our valet podium was on the Morpheus commercial in the Super Bowl? I did see that. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, if you I watch did. the Kia commercial, the the podium that uh, that Morpheus is stated at, that's our that's our unit. You get no love as like the industrial supplier. Like no one's inviting us to any parties. There's nothing gold going down. <laughs> Rihanna's not saying like thanks for the podiums, guys. Thanks for the bars. Come to the backstage party. It's just not happening, man. Sweating it out. <laughs> Sweating it out. <laughs> So back to these blaps, man. I think that there's infinite amount of blaps, but I, I think what's important, and I want to I want to call back to the beginning of the show where we start, started talking about drop shipping versus product manufacturing. If you're not on this road in your drop shipping, I think that you're doing something wrong. I think that you should reevaluate your business, or I think that you should get out because this is what drop shipping leads to. It leads to product development. It leads to these problems in China. It leads to talking to your customers. It leads to trade shows. It leads to all this kind of stuff. And, and this is the kind of investment that you're making. If you're, if you're starting a business and, and you're starting with zero cash, but you're willing to spend all your time, know that at some point you're probably going to need to get into spending a lot of money. And that's what we're doing now. Absolutely. Well, Ian, I hope that the listeners got some value out of hearing one of our real stories of, of it actually went down. It feels sort of liberating to say portablebarcompany.com, flash bar, like that's what we do, <laughs> eat it, you know, <laughs> we've just, I just, we've been so terrified, you know, we wanted to preserve this business and, and it's, it's really fun to share it with the listeners and, and I'd like to encourage you guys, this, this episode is at tropicalmba.com slash flash bar. I mean, we have love for all of our listeners, but we have a special love for the Eric Dubs of the world, the, the folks that are going out there and they're building real products that people love, the Jimmy Hayes and the Dugs of the world that, that build wonderful things. And so if you have any questions for us about the feasibility of your site, about the product, drop it in the comments. We're always hanging around uh, looking to help people out at the blog. Got any parting shots, boss man? You coming to Mexico in April? I'm not, well... Put me on the spot, man. Put me on the spot, man. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm actually a family vacation in April, man. I can't. Uh, yeah, okay. but you know what? Absolutely love Mexico. But you know, I think the Prague thing, man, that sounds really good. Man, that sounds good. All, All right. right. So, hey. All right. This podcast has been sponsored and funded and made possible by cold calls. So, the boss man and I both suggest that uh, if you do anything this week, go make one of those. You know, it really is like, you know, we can have all these theories like Rip Pivot Jam and stuff, Ian, and we were talking about, you know, before the call, it's like, we don't really know what's going to happen. You know, it's it's just a matter of if this podcast does anything for you, it's like, hey, like, we're not that smart. You know, like, we're not like Simon. We're not geniuses. We don't really know what's going to happen. We just managed to do stuff, to listen to podcasts or to read books or to drink coffee or to take a jog or whatever it is for you. That, that inspires you to, to act because that's – you even see – in man, let me get into a little rant. People like us, we screw up all the time. We do things poorly like in a not a great way that somehow end up getting good results and then we turn around and say, well, it was because I was doing this and we're just wrong. But we still get the benefits of, of having the results, the cash flow, the customers and that's what keeps you going. So it's – you know, somehow the theory is good, you know, the predictions is all fine and good, but at the end of the day, it helps to get out there, get on the phone, make a cold call, make a sale. Action Jackson, man, keep the whole thing moving forward. Man, I can't wait to do another episode on Valley Up because uh, Taylor has been doing some cold calls and uh, <laughs> it's been amazing. It's been amazing. 
Absolutely, buddy. We have so much stuff going on. It's crazy. We might need to go to two episodes a week. What do you think? You got time for me? We'll, we'll see if the internet connection is strong <laughs> enough. I'll talk to you next week. TropicalMBA.com slash flashbar. That was the boss, man. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.